Welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Paige Scott, and I'm going to be your host. Entourage Ministries gets its inspiration from Psalm 6811 that says, The Lord gives the command, and a great army of women proclaim the good news. Entourage is a multi-generational, multi-denominational, multicultural women's ministry based in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us today as we dive into truth from the Word so that your heart and spirit may be encouraged. Now we're going to be looking at the why. Earlier in the chapter, we discussed four likely sources of anxiety. Anxiety was learned from an influence. Anxiety was developed from an unresolved trauma experienced. Anxiety was established from a lack of feeling safe and secure in childhood. We'll explain that more later. Anxiety manifested from the impact of death, diagnosis, or divorce. So we have uh, some questions. There's eight I'm sort of going to talk through with you guys. Number one. Would you describe your parents as anxious people? Why or why not? Number two, would you describe your spouse as an anxious person? Why or why not? Three, did you have a caregiver or friend who was an anxious person and who was impactful in shaping your life? Uh, you know, sometimes we spend a lot of time around people other than our parents, our guardians. We could have had a grandparent that kept us a lot. We are also often around school teachers more often than we are our own family. So at that point, you might stop and think uh, of people that you were around that had a big influence that may have had anxiety. Um, my, my grandmother uh, that I did spend a lot of time with, uh, she had a lot of anxiety and worry and uh, I remember when I got older, and I read it in the Bible, the Lord says, Be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts. And I told her, I said, Grandma, you do not suppose to worry. Needless to say, that did not go as I thought. She became very angry. So um, that was my experience with a caregiver that had anxiety. Number four, were you encouraged to participate in age-appropriate activities or age-inappropriate activities? And what I mean by that is sometimes parents have so much fear, they do not want their children to participate in things other kids their age are doing. Uh, they may be afraid when they become 16 and it's time to start learning to drive. Their fear of losing them may actually keep them from encouraging them to drive a car, get a permit, or to move uh, forward in that way. And sometimes parents can ask kids to do things that are inappropriate for their age. Number five, were those who shaped your upbringing more defined by a life of fear, faith, or pragmatism? pragmatism? Six, what things were frightening to your caregivers as you were growing up? And as I, look, I ask myself these questions, because uh, I, I, personally in my own life, I don't have many fears. But there is one fear I have. So sure enough, I look back at my caregiver, and I have a fear of snakes. 
And I still have that ingrained in me when I go outside, especially in the evening, to take a flashlight to watch for snakes. And now when my grandchildren come over to my house and I see them playing uh, near rocks or that it's starting to get close uh, to that time where they come out, I find myself want to, you know, probably be overzealous and yell, watch out for snakes. So I try to say that in a reserved way, let's be careful where we go without evoking fear in them. But that is generational, and I can say that really stuck with me. So you might ask yourself, what was your parents afraid of, and did you learn that same fear? Seven, what sense of fear or security strongly embedded in you during your upbringing? Eight, how did your caregivers react to fear and unknown situations as you were growing up? That's a, another thing I remember with my grandmother is that when she got afraid, she would get angry. And uh, so often that is how people will react to fear is they, became, they become angry. All right, now we're going to go to our next page. And a source is, did trauma or tragedy in your life contribute to your anxiety? And I want to say once again, remember that we need to reveal to heal. Number one, would you say trauma has been more of a stranger or a neighbor during your life? Two, would you, when you hear the word trauma, does anything from your life come to mind? Three, what has broken your heart in your lifetime? Four, have you suffered abuse in your lifetime? Five, have you lost a loved one unexpectedly? Six, have you or a family member in your household faced chronic illness or terminal illness? And often when a child grows up in a home where there is another child or a parent or adult in the home that's experiencing chronic illness, it affects the dynamic in their family and it changes it a lot. Uh, number eight. Do you harbor bitterness or unforgiveness towards someone? The Bible says bitterness is a root, and it will choke you. Number nine, does someone harbor bitterness or unforgiveness towards you? And ten, what is the biggest regret in your life? Okay, we're fixing to move on to talking about attachments in our childhood and how they can affect us. And um, before we move on with that, I just want to address and talk a little bit about trauma. And the reason uh, we're going to talk so much about trauma for a while is statistically speaking, um, a, lot, a large amount of people have been abused as a child, neglected, or abandoned as a child. So therefore, statistically speaking, I know many of you watching this has had an experience of trauma in your life as a child, as an adolescent, or as an adult. We're now in a time in our society where the brain is the new frontier, and we're learning so much about the brain. Dr. Carolyn Leaf is a wonderful scientist uh, that addresses issues with the brain. And we're, we're learning so much now from PET scans or MRIs that can be uh, take pictures of the brain that will literally show how the brain is affected by trauma, by toxic thoughts. You can literally see the dark spots there. 
Um, another thing we're learning about trauma is it, uh, you can get stuck in trauma. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about the need to feel safe and to move forward to be unstuck from trauma. The exciting thing is, is that the Bible always is ahead of our science, is that the Bible tells us as a man thinketh so he is. His promises are new every day. And with a, a, the transforming of our mind, we can bring health and wholeness, and the brain really can be restored. Uh, Carolyn Leaf will tell you that uh, the mind is separate from the brain and that your mind will transform your brain by putting in positive thoughts, the Word of God, and learning to replace all the lies that you've been fed, to replace the toxic words that have come at you, the toxic thoughts have come at you, replace it with the Word of God and with positive, and replace that thinking. Um, as we, a, a person, another person, when it comes to trauma, that uh, I think is a very good source that I will be quoting here soon. Uh, it's uh, Bezel van der Koek, MD. He wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score. And from that, I'm just going to sort of talk, I'm going to list some things quoted from his book. He says, People can learn to control and change their behavior, but only if they feel safe. If trauma is encoded, then people need help to move from that fight-or-flight state. They need to reorganize their perception of danger and manage relationships. You know, earlier I said perception is everything. Often it is a, it may not even be a truth that happened to them, but they have perceived it that way. And their perception of that and people is keeping them from getting healing in their relationships, healing from their anxiety. Uh, he says that children need to feel safe. They need to feel known and seen. And I think when I read that, that was really neat because that reminded me of what we just read in Genesis where uh, Hagar had run from uh, her master and the Lord appeared to her and she said, you are the God who sees. So God is Jehovah Elroy. He is the God that sees. So it's very important for us in life as children, to be seen and to be known and, uh, and to feel safe. And uh, I think with our relationship of, with the Lord, that safety can be built to move forward. And trust is at the heart of safety. You, you have to, to trust to feel safe. And as we move on soon and we talk about, again, attachment issues, you'll see that that evolves around trust and safety. Another quote uh, from uh, the doctor is, if there were no safe connections, closeness evokes fear or a fear of getting hurt, betrayed, or abandoned. So I think all of these come to play with attachment issues. So we're going to move on now and talk about attachment issues. And uh, I will quote these and the, uh, from Dr. Gary Seesby and Dr. Tim Clinton out of their book, Why You Do the Things You Do, The Secret to Healthy Relationships. It says, secret, secure attachment styles. A child feels confident, secure, and safe in their need, if their needs will be met. 
Think of the phase phase God is able here. If someone had parents that fostered these things, they would be more likely to thrive in their walk of faith in the life of security. And this is statements that they may feel. I'm comfortable getting close to others, but I also feel comfortable being alone. I let myself feel my emotions, but I'm rarely, if ever, overwhelmed by them. I expect my partner to respect who I am. I balance my need for intimacy with the need for achievement and success. The next style is called an ambivalent attachment style. A child feels a fear of abandonment, inconsistency, a lack of response from caregivers. The following are phases that be characterized in the following book. I quoted, one, I'm not capable of receiving love without performance. Others can meet my needs, but might not because of my flaws. My feelings can get out of control very quickly. And this attachment comes from people often that are caught up in shame. They, they feel unworthy, and they're afraid if someone knows who they are, they're not going like to like them or accept them. The next style is insecure avoidance attachment style. A child feels independent physically and emotionally and does not seek attachment. The following are phases they may say. I'm worthy of love based on my success and my accomplishments. I am capable of getting love, but I can depend on my own self and abilities. Others are unwilling or incapable of loving me. Others are not trustworthy. They are unreliable and untrustworthy. So people like this are often very successful. Uh, they, they learn to take care of themselves to be in control. And they're not going to allow you to be in control if possible because you are not trustworthy. And one reason I'm bringing out these attachment styles is life is about relationships. It's about relationships with God and other people. And in our life, most of us are going to be married. And when we come to the table in our marriage, we bring all of our past with us and their past. And here we are trying to work and walk forward in our relationships with awesome, often things that hinder us. Disorganized attachment style. A child feels no sense of identity and has a low view of self and others. The following or phrases may characterize their life is, something's wrong with me, life is chaos, I might get abandoned, my feelings are very confusing to me, so I try not to feel them. These are people uh, that may struggle with something like a borderline personality disorder where they want to get uh, close to people, but they're so afraid of being abandoned that they cannot experience a healthy relationship. Uh, I experienced this with my mom. Uh, she was very jealous of my dad. She had been abused by her mom, told she, when she was small. Her mother would tell her she was dumb, she was stupid. So although my mom was very, very beautiful, she always felt dumb and stupid because of the words spoken to her by her own mother. And regardless of what I told her or what anybody else told her, she was never able to change that mindset. So she marries my dad, who is an amazing man and uh, does all he can to take very good care of her. But her jealousy and her uh, insecurities would never allow them to have a healthy relationship. So let's look at connect the dots. 
Look at the descriptions of the attachment styles. Consider your upbringing. Which attachment style do you feel was developed in your life early on based on the limited information above? Now go back and look at the phase, phrases ranging from am I able to do this to God is able. And note any similarity between your attachment style and your phase phase. Is there any relationships to your security or insecurity you felt as a child and the way you now conduct your life? Uh, the last source we want you to consider is death, diagnosis, and divorce. And, uh, you know, there's many things in our life that's out of our control. And uh, even as women, we try to control things. There's some things we absolutely cannot control. And one of those is death, diagnosis of an illness, or divorce. Uh, those are things that hit you, and you and you because you are so out of control, it can be very, very fearful. It can um, just knock you off your feet and uh, sort of put you in a dark place. Uh, I myself experienced divorce, and I, I do, uh, you know, the it's horrific to go through that, and I know so many people are going through that right now. And uh, when you have made a covenant with someone that you think that's going to be forever, and you felt like you did have that trust, and uh, they tell you that they want to end that relationship, uh, it'll shake you to your core. And when you have children, it'll really shake you to your core because your whole dynamic's going to change. So when that happens, you know, what do you do? And, and I'm just thankful that I knew that, uh, that the Lord was my best friend, that he was faithful, uh, that he is trustworthy. So I was able to turn to him. And it's not to say that it wasn't hard, that uh, there wasn't a lot of tears and some hard times, but he literally will give you a peace that does pass understanding. And uh, Psalms was my go-to. You know, the Word of God is powerful. It's a two-edged sword. And... Uh, and it is so powerful. The Word of God, you know, John 1, chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word uh, was with God, and we beheld Him uh, in the flesh as the Son of God. And so when you read the Word, just know it is God and it's trustworthy. And so I would go to Psalms, and I would uh, say, Lord, you've got to be my hiding place, my refuge, my shield my defender, and all the things that's coming at me. And it bring me great comfort. And for all of you out there that are going through it, uh, my heart goes out for you. And, uh, you know, the Lord tells us to pray for wisdom because uh, there is wisdom needed in that, especially when it affects children. And often you have mutual friends that you share. And unfortunately, often you share a ministry together. So, But because I did walk through that, uh, I can tell you that the good Lord is there, and he, he's got you. He loves you so much. He loves everybody uh, the same, and he's going to take care of you, and it's going to come out for your good. And so I want to end that by reading um, Psalms chapter 27. Now, there is a Psalms, and I usually quote it. <laughs> you think I'd have it memorized, but I do remember reading it back then where it said he would be my husband, and I thought that was pretty neat. And, you know... But one thing's for sure, the creator of the universe is your best friend. If you can just really believe that, it'll sure help you a lot. Psalms 27. 
You know, I talked about uh, when I addressed the fears, and it's really neat because this uh, book addresses the fears that uh, I had listed, which I'm not seeing, but basically the fear of man and uh, the different fears that we had uh, listed that cause anxiety. Most of those fears are actually in this chapter, and I think that's why I like that. So in Psalms 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my refuge and fortress in my life. Whom shall I dread? When the wicked came against me to eat of my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumble and fell. Though an army camped against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, even in this I am confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in the presence all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty, the loveliness, and majestic grandeur of the Lord, and to meditate in the temple. For the day of trouble, he will hide me in his shelter. In his secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. In his tent, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious and compassionate to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor leave me, O God of my salvation. Although my father and my mother have abandoned me, yet, Lord, you will take me and you will adopt me as your child. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries or false witnesses that have come against me that breathe out violence. Um, I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. Wait for, confidently expect the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage. Wait and expectantly, confidently upon the Lord. And uh, now Paige is going to come up and walk us through something. At the end of session three, you will see that there are a few pages available with the caption that says, A letter to myself at the top. And to give some introductory instructions and encouragement about this letter, I want to reference a song from Hillsong United that was released on their People album. It's called As You Find Me. And one of the most powerful lyrics of the song that I think we can all relate to is when, when they sing, your love is too good to leave me here. Your love is too good to leave me here. And just like when the Lord asked Eve, why are you hiding? You'll remember that she didn't stay there. That actually she had an insufficient covering at that moment, something that had temporarily brought her relief from shame that had helped in her hiding. But actually in that moment we see that the Lord removed her from her hiding place and covered her with something better. That, of course, was just a shadow a foreshadow of what he would do in Christ for us. When he takes us out of our place of hiding and he gives us his own robe of righteousness so that we can leave a place of fear, of guilt, and of condemnation. 
He asks the same thing of Hagar. Why are you running? Where are you going? But he doesn't leave her there. And in this moment, this is a transition. We are at the halfway point of hearts at rest. And we want to transition from this area of looking at roots and wounds to letting the healing living waters of the Lord come over those roots and wounds so that we can begin experiencing new life with him. I want to read to you from John chapter 5. And then we have a song from one of our team members named Jessie Salee that's going to be available to you. She's going to sing it over you as you write your letter, and it's going to correspond with this passage in John 5. But the passage in John 5, this is speaking of the ministry of Jesus, and it says, After this, there was a feast of Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, There was a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, and it had five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, Jesus said to him, Do you want to be healed or do you want to be well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. And while I am going, another steps down before me. He said this to Jesus because they believe if they could get in the pool of water at just the right time, they might have a chance at their healing. Verse 8, John chapter 5, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. I feel like when you think about this man, when we think about this man that for 38 years was debilitated, to having a home on a mat, that that mat represents a lot of things. It represents not just debilitation, but it represents a norm. It really represents a home for him. It was his dwelling place. It was like Eve in the bushes in those moments and seasons of hiding before the Lord removed her. It's like Hagar in the desert on the run. It was like Sarah who hid from the Lord in a tent and laughed at the thought that he'd be able to fulfill the promise. This man's home was on a mat. And it was on a mat that reminded him every day that he couldn't get to his healing on his own, that he couldn't get there quick enough, that there was no one there to help him. But then one day it says Jesus, it says that there was a multitude, but Jesus saw the one. That's so Jesus. He does over and over again. He sees the one and he sees you. And I believe that he says to you this day, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? And instead of telling him that it hasn't worked before, that no one's shown up for you before, then I just beg you and encourage you to give him a yes. Jamie said that yesterday in the testimony panel. My healing journey began began with just saying yes to the Lord. Say, yes, Lord, I want to be healed. I want to be well. And the word that Jesus would have for you is get up. 
take up your mat and walk. So you continue to read this man's story. Uh, a scene erupts because someone that's supposed to be debilitated has now put all that was lame back to use. And he did it because he received the word of the Lord over his life. In scripture, we get a picture um, it, the, the example used is a, is a husband that, that has an affair with a, a prostitute. And it talks about how when they come together, they are, they are tied up together. They become one in flesh and certainly also in soul. We're not husbands here, and hopefully you're not a prostitute. If you are, all this is still true for you, and you're welcomed here, and God loves you. But I think when we think of that word, prostitute and we think about things being tied up in our soul we think about the things that are outside that covenant of promise in God that we've made a bed with that we've made a mat with and the word says of those things my, my mom referenced it from Hebrews that the word is alive and it's active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword and it can divide what needs to be divided and because Jesus is the word He's the word made flesh. He comes to divide anything that has tied your soul up to that mat of debilitation. Anything that has sought to come and make a presence and keep company with you that is outside of his covenant and his promise. So when you say to the Lord, I want to receive your word from John 5. I want to be well. I will take up my mat and I will walk. That is the word of God in your life, doing its job of dividing what does not need to be tied and unleashing what needs to be unloosed. So in this opportunity to write a letter to yourself, and I would encourage you wherever you are, get comfortable when you do it. Don't go quickly or hastily and don't skip it because you think it's not worth it. I want you to write a letter to yourself answering those questions. Where are you? Why are you running? And have some dialogue with the Lord. What does life look like away from the mat? What does life look, up, look like when you stand up and you start moving freely and you're a walking, talking testimony? Allow the Lord to go back and bring healing and closure to the places that have tried to bind your soul, that have tried to keep you on, on a mat. So you really have creative expression and authority in how you want to write this letter. But if I was you, I would encourage you to write it as a prophetic declaration as a woman who now stands with her mat rolled up. Write it to the woman that got on the mat and thought she could never get off, and you tell her, what God has done for you, what God is doing, and where you are going because you've received his word over your life. The lyrics to the song that I hope you'll play as you begin to write this, uh, write this letter, they say, do you want to be well? Child, you're free. Do you want to be well? Child, you're free. And then they say, I can't go back home, but I'm feeling alone. But show me your promises for me, and I will be your hands and feet. And so I love 
I love this. It's about John 5. This mat was this man's home. He got up off of it. I'm sure it felt equally freeing and maybe a little bit awkward. But he became hands and feet that were the testimony of what Jesus can do with a single word when we just receive it. And I want you to receive that. I want you to bask in it. Because as you receive the promise of Jesus, you will walk freely. and You will be his hands and feet. This is the truth and this is the word of God. In this moment, we thank you, Jesus, for every woman on the other side of the screen. We receive your blood that was shed for us, for our sins, for our iniquities, for our transgressions. We thank you that your body was broken for our wholeness. We thank you that both things visible to the eye and invisible to the human eye are all clearly seen by you, and you paid a price for all of them. So as these ladies write these letters from a place of standing and not a place of debilitation, Father, it is a moment that we say, let your word cut soul ties let your word unloose chains, unloose ropes, and may every weapon that is, that is pointed toward these women in the, in the heavenly places, God, of, of the darkness in heavenly places, we pray that those weapons be disarmed because we choose your word. We choose your promise. And we choose to say that no matter what the past 38 years has looked like, no matter what failures of healing have looked like, no matter who didn't show up or the things we could and couldn't do, you've showed up in this moment because I am the one, they are the one, we are the one, and your word for us is, child, you are free. Get up and go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May it be so.
Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. 